That's it. <laughs> that's it. That's all, that's all the video there is. Now you got me. Um, friends, let's, um, before we get into like scripture and, um, and sermon stuff, let's, I, I'd like for us to pray again, um, particularly for um, the, the family member. Uh, so it's a member of our congregation. Um, two of his brothers were um, actually in another state were um, in a car accident a couple of days ago. And um, the older one was killed, and the younger one is um, at their tests being run right now. Um, he has to pass all three of the tests. Um, if he doesn't, then he will be considered brain dead. Um, and so those are tests happening in real time right now. Um, and I don't know what the church is if we're not the community of people who um, bring... Um, Mysteriously, I don't know how it works, but we bring, um, his name is Josh. Um, we bring Josh to the Lord right now. Um, we hold him before the Lord. And um, we don't have control. Uh, of course, we say, God's will be done, thy will be done, um, not ours. Um, and yet, <laughs> we're not, we um, are on the side of life. That's what the kingdom of God, that's what the church is about, is we're on the side of life. And we believe that's God's ultimate um, vision for Josh. That's God's ultimate destiny for Josh. And, um, and so we would like for him to have a taste of it right now. Um, and so um, right now in these moments, um, I just want, before we get into the sermon, I just want to pray. So, Father, we are children. We are children. We don't have control over anything. We have the illusion of control and we fool ourselves and we, but we don't. So um, we give Josh to you right now and we ask that you would, we ask for a miracle. We ask that you would, um, you would baffle doctors and nurses. We ask that you would make eyebrows go up. We ask that there would be stories coming out of that room um, that would be head scratching, um, kind of like, well, we don't know exactly how to explain it other than, um, other than you, Spirit. And so, Spirit, you are present in that room. We ask that you would be with um, the with the entire family and be so close and comforting and strengthening and bringing grace. Um, we don't exactly know what to pray, but we do pray, Lord Jesus, have mercy. Have mercy. Yeah. And we thank you that you are the God who does. Yeah. So we pray with the faith that we have, and we ask for more faith, we ask in hope, we ask in love that you would do a miracle. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. 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 So, we are in our fourth week of a series called Encountering Jesus. It is a series where we follow Jesus around and we watch him encounter people. And we pray that he encounters us this morning. Um, he wants to. The, the, maybe before we get into the, we're going to be in Luke 4. If you have a paper Bible and you want to turn there, you 
are welcome to go ahead and turn there. But before we get to Luke 4, let's just um, say two really quick things about Jesus that are like so foundational, so bedrock that um, maybe they don't always get said. Even though Joe said them last week, um, they kind of blow past us, but I don't want us to miss it this week. Um, so I'm going to repeat it. Um, they're they're things that are true about Jesus. This Jesus that we are encountering, they're always true about Jesus. They're always true about Jesus at the same time they are true about Jesus. First, Jesus is fully God. That's what the church confesses. It's a scandal, if you didn't know it. It's idolatry, blasphemous idolatry if we are wrong. You know what I mean? But this is the confession. This is the hope of the church. Jesus of Nazareth is full on God. That it, when we see Jesus walking around, we see God. We see what God is like. Jesus is what God is like. If you write it down, Jesus is what God is like. Jesus is God made human. That's what the church says. He's full God, 100% God. And second, this makes us uncomfortable. Jesus is fully human. He's 100% completely fully human. When you see Jesus walking around, you see what humanity should look like. That's what you see. You're seeing Jesus, after all, is the perfect image of God. He's the perfect image of God. And what was humanity made to be? The image of God. That's right. Humanity is made in the end. And so it's a little strange, a little head-scratching, perhaps ironic the first time you think about it. But the most true human being, the most fully alive human being to ever live, the most fully human human being to ever live was God, the human being. Jesus of Nazareth is the most fully human human being to ever live. And so, um, that's who we're encountering today. When, whenever you see Jesus, whenever you read about him in the Gospels, who we are wanting to encounter today is fully God and fully human. That's who we're going to be watching as we are in Luke 4 today, watching Jesus encounter an entire village is who he's encountering today, a village called Capernaum. Um, we're going to a, a, take a running start um, and start in verse 31. We're, we're going to camp... I, I, the, the, the juicy bits are in verse 42 and 43, but uh, we're going to take a running start with verse 31. Then he went down to Capernaum. I told you it was going to be about a, he's encountering a village. Yeah. Um, then he went down to Capernaum. Thank you. Um, then he went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee. And on the Sabbath, he taught the people. They were amazed at his teaching because his words had authority. In the synagogue, there was a man possessed by a demon, an impure spirit. He cried out at the top of his voice, Go away! What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. Then the demon threw the man down before them all and came out without injuring him. All the people were amazed and said to each other, what words these are. With authority and power, he gives orders to impure spirits and they come out. 
And the news about him spread through the surrounding area. Jesus left the synagogue and went to the home of Simon. Now, Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked Jesus to help her. So he bent down, so he bent over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. She got up at once and began to wait on them. At sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness and laying his hands on each, of, each one, he healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people shouting, you are the son of God, but he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Messiah. That gives us just a tiny bit of context for the juicy parts. Um, Jesus is doing a lot. Here in these verses, right? Jesus, he, he, he shows up on the scene and he is announcing the rule and reign of God. That's what the kingdom of God means. God rules. God reigns. And because talk is cheap, you know, anybody could just come in and say that, he is also enacting the kingdom of God. You want to see what it looks like when God is in charge? You want to see what it looks like when God reigns over the world? Well, it looks like that fever going away. It looks like demons not having a place. It looks like life flourishing all around. It looks like sickness and darkness banished from... He's, in, he's enacting the kingdom through all of his actions. If you couldn't tell from these verses, Jesus is doing a lot of things, right? Yeah, he's doing, doing. We like doing. He's doing a lot of things, a lot of good things. We would agree on that, right? He's doing a lot of good things. He's casting out evil spirits, verse 35, and he's breaking fevers, and he's got mobs of people, verse 40, coming to him so that he can help them, so that he can heal them, so that he can banish darkness from their lives. Swarm, it's like swarms of people are coming, and they're like, they're coming, and they're like texting their friends, like, so, you know, like Instagramming or, you know, Snapchatting, whatever, whatever it was. They're like, just send for, send for Joe. That's weird, because Joe is our pastor. But uh, send, send for whoever. <laughs> Joe really needs to meet Jesus. I'm just kidding, guys. Um, the, <laughs> that was funny. Um, <laughs> Um, then uh, kind of was um, they're texting their friends like get over here you gotta get Je Jesus is working hard he's doing a lot we blow past it but he, I mean it says Jesus um, he pulls an all nighter that's what he did he pulls an all nighter he is working so hard and he's doing such good Things. I mean, really good things are being accomplished through him. People are walking away from Jesus and the people around Jesus being like, man, have you seen the ministry of Jesus on fire? That thing is like trending on Twitter. The Jesus is super duper popular. He is going places. He and his ministry firing on all cylinders. There are, because Jesus is meeting all of these obvious, pressing needs, all of these crises that are just coming his way. He's putting out fire after fire after fire, all these things that are coming to him. But then notice what happens in verse 42. It says, at daybreak, so this is after the all-nighter. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him, and when they came to where he was, this is the juicy part, 
When they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. They tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. He leaves Capernaum. So Jesus pulls this all-nighter. He's doing all kinds of incredible work. And then he goes to a solitary place, to a lonely place. And then, evidently, it's time to go. It's time to leave. And how do the people react? No, Jesus, no, Jesus, you have got to stay here. There are things that you could teach us. My friend with hearing loss is on the way, and Joe hasn't even made it yet. I mean, we got to, you got, there are all kinds of crises that you, there are fires to be put out. You haven't even met my in-laws. Good grief, and my in-laws are here, so the blessings on you. They're so, they're so good. I can make that joke because we're safe, um, but, but it's a stereotypical, anyway, I'm digging a hole. Um, they, um, you haven't, you don't know the half of it, Jesus. You have to stay. There's all kinds of pressing stuff, fires and crises that you could help with. Jesus, there are really good things that you could be doing. Jesus, don't go. Not yet. Don't go. We don't exactly know what was being said here. I mean, I'm taking a little bit of license with it, but something along these lines is being said here in verses 42 and 43. Jesus, don't go. You got to stay. We know what you need to do, Jesus. We know what you need to do. And what does Jesus do? After retreating, after recentering, after praying, Jesus acts. And it's not what Capernaum wanted. It's not what Capernaum expected. Verse 43, Jesus says, I can't stay. I gotta go. See ya. Sorry, I gotta go. I know that there are crises. I know that there are fires to be put out. I know that there are pressing needs that need to be solved. But I... I have to keep going. I have other things that I have to do. I've got to keep proclaiming God's kingdom throughout this region. And so Jesus disappoints. Jesus disappoints a whole lot of people. Jesus leaves. Somewhere between verse 43 and verse 44, Jesus walked away from them. At some point, they saw the back of Jesus. At some point, Jesus turned his back on them. Wait, Jesus, where are you going? Why are you leaving us? But we could say it this way, slide one. Um, Jesus is committed to something deeper and better 
than all the demands being put on him. Jesus is committed to something deeper and better than all the demands being put on him, central to the real human being. Jesus of Nazareth, real guy, real human being, and central to his life was finding clarity on the deeper and better thing that he was committed to. It, it required him getting alone, finding time to like recenter, silence from all the people swarming him, and learning to listen to the Spirit and to the Father. It was there in silence in solitude, away from like all the pressures and the demands and all the fires to be put out, that Jesus finds clearly what his life is to be about. It was in stillness and prayer that the Son learned to listen to the Spirit and to the Father. He learned Hebrews 5 actually says this explicitly. Son, though he was, he learned obedience. This becomes a pattern, actually, in Jesus' life. In the middle of uh, chapter 5, if you are curious, um, it's verse 15. It says, yet the news about him spread. So he's gone to another village, and the, the news about him spread all the more so that the crowds came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Once again, we see people like mobbing Jesus, swarms of demands and opinions about, you know what you should really be doing, Jesus. And what do we see Jesus doing? He's retreating. He's recentering. He's praying. And then he's acting. Then he's acting. And eventually, uh, this actually becomes like a, a third of the way through Luke's gospel. Um, Jesus, it becomes really clear the direction he's going in his life. Because in chapter uh, 9, verse 51, we uh, discover... As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And then, like, from then on in Luke's gospel, we find Jesus, uh, chapter uh, 13, verse 22. Then Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. Uh, not making it up. Chapter 17. Now on his way to Jerusalem, this is verse 11, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. In chapter 18, verse 31. Jesus took the twelve aside and told them, We are going up to Jerusalem 19, verse 28, after Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. Jesus is like focused, like laser beam focused on like, this is what I'm about. I am doing this thing. At one point, he explains it to someone. It's back in chapter 13, verse 33. He's explaining, he said, I must press on today and tomorrow and the next day, for surely no prophet can die outside of Jerusalem. That's what Jesus has committed himself to. That's what Jesus is like laser beam focused on. That's what he's aiming at. There are a lot of good things that Jesus could be doing with his time, but Jesus has committed himself to something better than good things. 
Jesus has committed himself to something better than good things that he could be doing. He's committed himself so deeply to the best thing that he can say no to the good things. No. Jesus sees the best thing, and it's not what anybody expected. Nobody else was seeing what Jesus saw. Jesus is going to Jerusalem, after all, to absorb the curse that is on creation. He's going to the, to the cross to atone for humanity's sins. He's going to display, put on display, God's unchanging, unending love and solidarity with his creation. Jesus is going to die, to implode death from the inside. It's like Ocean's Eleven. He's like breaking into this place. And boom, I'm going to blow death up from the inside. Jesus is going to Jerusalem to save the world. But if he kept responding to the crises, to the fires popping up around him, if he only listened to the demands being put on him, he would never have done it. He would never have done it. He would never have gone to the cross. Jesus, stay here. Jesus, let's do this together. Jesus, spend your time and energy this way. We know how your life should play out, Jesus. And it looks like this, 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 this. But no. Jesus is committed to something deeper and better than the demands being put on him. And that means two things. We remember what we said at the very beginning of this sermon. So we're just going to change the slides. Number one, the truly human life means committing to something deeper and better than all the demands being put on us. And that's what you see Jesus, you see true humanity being put on display. What, what humanity was meant to be, the truly human life means committing to something deeper and better than all of the demands being put on us. That's a way that Jesus illuminates our lives for us. Jesus gets swarmed with like demands, inundated with invitations. He's confronted with crisis after crisis because Jesus had something that everyone around him wanted. His healing, his power, his energy. Just little bits of Jesus being torn off, being given to the world. And the same, I think, is true for any human life. Every one of us goes through our week, and they're like, little bits of me being torn off. Everybody just wants a little. We, get, we find ourselves swarmed with demands, don't we? Right? I'm not the only one. <laughs> Preach, inundated with invitations. You could come do this. Hey, participate in this thing. We get uh, like addressed by advertising, good Lord, all the time, everywhere, every day of our lives, practically every hour of our lives. All of us are being constantly reached out to by people who want something from us. Social media like clamors for our time. Clever marketing wants our money. Wonderful causes and programs want our energy. Friends and family members and perhaps a needy personality or two want our attention. Am I right? Yeah. 
everybody feels this, that the places and people to which we could give our time, our money, our energy, our presence, our attention, they are endless. They are endless. And every day we can only say yes to like a scarce few of these possibilities. If I say yes to chicken tonight for dinner, I have said no to soup. And I'm glad to say no to soup. Joy's not in here, but I don't like soup. I don't know why. <laughs> Anyone else not like soup if you got really... Uh, yes, Ryan! Yes! Like, if, but it's a silly example, but yeah, if you say yet, by saying yes to a possibility, you have closed off and said no to all the other possibilities. If I say yes to investing my time with this person today, that means no to investing my time with any other person today. They will not get my attention because this person has my attention. If I say yes to putting my resources and channeling them, giving them to a particular cause, to a particular organization, it means I've said no, at least for now, to using them in another way. We, if you need, we quietly, we don't know it, but we quietly say no to every possibility in our lives except the one that we say yes to. We're, we're saying no to almost every possibility except one. If you've ever felt like there isn't enough time or energy or resources or money or any, if, if you've ever felt like there's not enough of you to go around, you're exactly right. There's not. There's not enough of you. The life of Jesus invites us to consider, the encountering Jesus invites us to consider what we are saying yes to. What are we saying yes to? Jesus, the most truly human, human being, was guided by something deeper and better than every invitation or demand or suggestion or crisis or fire that came his way. He was guided by something deeper than that. He spent time alone, away from demands and noise, listening to the quiet voice of love, to the voice of the Father. And after patient, frequently painful work of prayer, Jesus knew what he had to say yes to. Say yes to the cross. Say yes to something better and deeper. And I say no to other things. Even good things. Even, even great opportunities. Even important work. Even important people. Even noble causes. I can't do it. I'm committed to this. I've already said yes to loving the world this way. And so I have to say no. Maybe some of us need to hear this. I think we do this morning. Would you like some good news? Yes. yes. I think you would. Even the most loving, the most giving, the most sacrificial life ever lived on this planet disappointed people. The most giving, sacrificial, loving life to ever live said no 
to certain things and disappointed people, do we know what we have said yes to? Do we know what we have said yes to? Do we know what's guiding us, what's driving us? I almost always, right now, for this season of my life, I frequently say no to things in the evenings after work um, because I have said yes to being present with my wife and with my children. That's what I've said yes to. It doesn't make it easy to say no to things because I, Lord knows I want to be, there's not enough of me to go around. But like, I have said yes to them getting me. And so because I've said yes to that, it doesn't always make it easy, but I say no to other things. The truly human life means saying yes to something deeper and better than the unending demands being put on us. That's the challenge. But if we leave it there, and as, as we approach this last slide, we're approaching the table. Um, but as we, if we leave it there, a challenge for our lives and thoughts about our lives and how we live in the week, blah, blah, blah. Um, if we leave it there at challenge for us, we have not preached the gospel. And so let's preach the gospel this morning for just a minute. If you want to follow Jesus, you are being welcomed into the truly human life. That's good. That's true. But here's the gospel. Here's the good news. Jesus is fully God, and God is committed to something deeper and better than all the demands we put on him. That's what we see with Jesus. We don't just see full humanity being put on display. We see fully God being put on display. And the gospel, my brothers and sisters, is that God is... We're all, like, hurting and aching in different places. God is committed to something deeper and better than all the demands we put on him. The life of Jesus reveals a God who already, always loves us and serves us in deeper, better ways than we could ever imagine. In fact, God's commitment to love us and serve us is frequently the reason he disappoints us. God's commitment to love us and serve us and to make us whole, fully human, fully alive, that is the reason why he frequently disappoints us. The whole reason he disappoints us is because he's committed to something deeper and better than what we could ever ask for. I am committed to something deeper than what you can see right now. So you just hold on. He doesn't, Jesus doesn't do what we want him to do, does he? He doesn't serve us in the ways that we want to be served. He leaves Capernaum and he guides our lives in a different direction. We, we beg. God knows I'm with you. We beg and we plead and we ask for him to do things in prayer. We ask him, please don't leave the village. And there are times when it feels like he's turning his back on us, isn't there? But it is his love for Capernaum that compels Jesus to disappoint Capernaum. I got to 
to disappoint you guys here in Capernaum. I've got to disappoint you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to save the world. I'm going to save you. And so, sorry. I, I know there are all kinds of things that are like on your radar right now that you're demanding of me, but I've got to walk away. I've got to walk away because I'm taking you somewhere better. I'm taking you somewhere better. It is God's love for us that compels God to disappoint us. That's impossibly hard for some of us to hear this morning, depending on what's going on in our lives. It's hard to believe that Jesus is loving you and serving you when you watch Jesus walk away from you. It's really hard to believe. We can't box God in. We can't, we can't control where Jesus is going. We can't get him to serve us in the way we want. But it's also really good news because it means that it means that God is committed to something better than what you can see. Good. Jesus is going to the cross. God is committed to saving the world. God is committed to loving us and serving us in better ways than we can imagine. And that frequently means not giving us what we're begging for. That's what God is like. And so as the band comes up this morning and as the like communion servers like come here, uh, come up and get kind of ready, if you're disappointed in God this morning, if it feels like he has walked away, maybe this morning you could hold your life before God and ask him for the faith to trust that he is committed to deeper and better than what you are begging for. Lord, we ask um, that you would give us the wisdom on how to live our lives, um, not fractured or divided or all over the place, but we ask that you would give us the wisdom and the energy and the courage to live integrated Lives that are focused on loving you and loving this world and saying yes to really deep and best things. We ask for that. We ask for faith to hear the gospel, that you have gone to the cross, that you have atoned for the sin of the world, that you have borne the curse of creation, that you are saving this world, that you are saving all of us, that you are saving even when we can't see it. We ask for faith to believe that you are committed to deeper and better things than we can ask for or imagine. As we come to this table this morning, we would ask that this uh, table would be a place where you would nourish us, where you would fill us up with yourself, with hope, with faith, with love. We remember that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and having given thanks, Fully God, fully man, you broke that bread and you gave it to us. You 
give it to your disciples and you say, take, eat, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, when supper was over, he took the cup. And having given thanks for that cup, you gave it to your disciples. You give it to us this morning. Give us eyes to see. And you say, drink from this, all of you. This is my cup of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So Jesus, we come to you hungry this morning. That's the only prerequisite for this table. It's not being a member of New Life or New Life Manitou or anything like that. It's the, this table is for all who hunger after you, Lord. And so make us hungry and thirsty for you and speak life and hope into us. May we hear your beatitudes. May we hear that those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, good news, you will be filled. May we receive these gifts and may we go out into the world and announce and embody the kingdom of God.